Welcome, everyone, to one of our favorite <laughs> segments to do on this show, the Reddit Roundtable. It's back. Episode 152. Oh. Thank you for joining us. We're midway through the week, three episode weeks, so got a lot of content coming to you guys. And uh, so, you know, drop a like, subscribe, turn on the bell for notifications so you never miss an episode. All the doodads, bells and whistles. Did I cover everything? I, I felt like if I didn't say one of the things that they should do, then you were going to like jump in and, yeah. you know. I think that's a good one. And if you're not look, listening or watching on YouTube, come over to YouTube and do all those things. If you're watching on YouTube, go to audio and do all those <laughs> things there in case you're ever in the car listening to us. Anyway, there's everything. Maybe we should start plugging to give us five stars on Apple Podcast if you like the episode. Five stars, yeah, yeah. If you leave us a little funny review too, that'd be kind of cool. Just, just don't be too mean, guys. We're I happened sensitive. to, I happened to go across it, and we had like three five star reviews, and I was like, I've never even done this. Clearly, those people know what they're doing. So I'm assuming it's you, your sister, and your mom. But anyways, <laughs> now I'm <laughs> contemplating this whole show. <laughs> right at roundtable. Uh, for those of you that are here for you know there we go ooh, ooh. it is october 27th at least when you guys are seeing this it will be <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um if you are unfamiliar with the concept this is how it goes over the weeks me and dominic scour the web we yes. look through reddit twitter instagram facebook youtube hey. comments uh-huh. other podcasts oh we look for your questions you the mma community we want to know what is on your mind. What do you want answered? And we're going to give you the scoop right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big scoop. Yeah, this is the end-all, be-all Q&A segment of MMA YouTube. Yes. Or MMA Actual. Spotify, whatever. The ultimate in MMA content is right here upon you. Yeah, we try to limit it to 10. I've been trying to hit like that sweet spot, 10 per episode. Um, we did 11 this time, so you guys get one for free. Hmm. But... um. Dominic, any thoughts before we just dive right in here? No, it's been over a month since we've done one of these. Give me question one right now. All right, all right. I like it. I like the, I like the little spice coming from you today. Sugar and spice and everything <laughs> nice. <laughs> so number one, this has been a this has been a topic that's came up over the years. You know, really ever since the UFC had their very first TV deal with Fox back in you know probably a decade ago or so now. Um, there's been this constant debate about quality versus quantity in terms of the UFC and the amount of events they put on year over year. We saw the amount of events skyrocket. Obviously, this is kind of before I was watching. This is more normal for me. But going back and re, you know, again, watching back all these events, you just see how quickly once that deal got made, how quickly they start pumping out card over card. And now it's mm-hmm. got to a point where. Almost every week of the year, you have a UFC card to look forward to. Yeah. And obviously, we have a podcast to talk about them. <laughs> yes. They're, they're but, keeping us in business. But there is a debate, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Does the UFC, in your opinion, hold too many events over their calendar years? Yeah. So, again, if you're new to this roundtable, for me, and probably for Noah, too, but when I look at all these questions, because a lot of them Noah does fine, so I'll look at them a little bit to prep but I like going with my initial gut reaction being real raw, authentic here on the show. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I got to say, no, uh, I know it is a lot. It's a lot of events to uh, cover 
on our end. It's a lot to keep up with, with fighters, new fighters, old fighters, records, all that crazy stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, man, it keeps me entertained every Saturday for six, seven hours at a time. And I think, what was last year, like 36, 37 events out of a 52-week year? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, there's still a a little decent chunk of off weekends. And I got to admit, man, during those off weekends when there's no fights, no UFC specifically, I find myself being quite lonely on them Saturday nights. So, uh, yeah, man, it is a lot. And I can see the debate for it being too much because, especially in the month of October, the fight nights have been on the you know, the downward side in terms of the name value that are on the cards, but so far so good. They've all delivered overperformed. Uh, and in my opinion, I think Noah would agree with that for the most part as well. So there's definitely pros and cons, man, at the end of the day, but we're big on these fight nights too, because these young up and comers, the no names, if you will, of the UFC could be your future champions one day, your future stars. So they got to start somewhere. And the fact that the UFC allows them the chance to kind of, you know, get their own card on a weekend rather than being shoved super deep on a pay-per-view where they might not get as much attention on like some of those really early fight past prelims. Uh, I like it, man. And at, at the end of the day, as a fan, the more MMA, the better, the more UFC, the better I'm all for as many events as they want to do. You know, I, I I'm going to feel pretty similar and I I'm sure most of our audience would expect us to feel that way, but there's really two main reasons. One, I love the opportunity for the fighters, just like you said. While this month, going into the cards, we had our fun, joking, saying these cards weren't very good on paper. But then look what happens on the the outset, once they've finished, once they've wrapped up. A lot of takeaways, a lot of guys who might have went under the radar on a pay-per-view that was super stacked with big finishes – yeah, you know, all of a sudden they get a spotlight. Alex Caceres last Saturday, you know, his comeback win over Sung Woo Choi on a pay per view. We might not even have been able to really talk about it, depending on how much happened. You know, yeah. could you imagine that fight on UFC 268? Or, <laughs> yeah, or, or any even, of the next three for that matter. <laughs> yeah, um, not to skip over 267 either. Any of those yeah. the rest of the year, um, it probably wouldn't have got discussed, or maybe it would have because we try to do our best to right. do- delve deep, but. I'm just saying that it wouldn't have got the shine across the board, not just for this podcast, but you know, all the outlets that would be talking about it. And the community as a whole, yeah. And that's just one example. Um, You could find an example from every card, maybe multiple examples. I mean, even a guy like Grant Dawson didn't make the most of his opportunity in the co-main event. He ended up in a split draw or or majority draw. I don't remember what the – but regardless, he's a guy that has had a lot of – he's got a lot of talent, a lot of potential. He was given a bigger platform because it was yeah. on a thin, weak card. He was the co-main event with Ricky Glenn. Exactly. And again, did the fight, did they really, you know, earn that? <laughs> Maybe not. But at the end of the day, I, I will always advocate for those kind of guys getting those kind of opportunities. And at the end of the day, the more cards there are in a year, the more fights these fighters get to do, the more yeah. money they get to make. Yes. The second reason um, – why would we ever advocate for less events? Our entire <laughs> our entire format is based on having events to cover on a week-to-week basis. Yeah. Um, I love watching UFC or just MMA in general on every weekend. Yes. You know, those weekends where there is nothing. And I'm not just talking about UFC, you know, Bellator has a decent amount of events a year. The PFL are cranking them out in their season format. 
now we're going to start doing some more regional shows, but you know, these, these other places, these other um, leagues, they aren't holding as many events a year. So the UFC were very dependent on the UFC's catalog to really not just give us fights to talk about on a week to week basis, but I think due to the, how really the UFC, the nature of the UFC has become just a week, weekly, weekly turnover process. Yeah. You know, even the news moves a lot faster. Now we get a lot of news on a week to week basis. I mean, right. If, if the UFC cut their events in half, let's say, I mean, I'd be devastated. Sure, would the cards be stacked? I would like to think so. But think of like all the downtime we'd have in between, you know. Well, yeah, and we've discussed that before with the PFL, right? Because while we love their regular season format, <clears throat> the playoffs, the championship coming up this Wednesday, if you didn't listen to our preview on Monday, you can go listen to that. But, uh, or coming out the day you're listening to this, the playoffs anyway. Um, yeah. But we talked about, well, they'll go two months at a time. Literally, they have not had a card since August 27th, and they're having their championship October 27th. So you go two full months with no PFL at all. And I get that their roster's not as deep. They don't have as many fighters as the UFC, but we discussed that, man. It'd be great to have little cards at least maybe two a month or one a month if you're the PFL, just so we can see a little bit more from your organization. Bellator is kind of right in the middle of the UFC and PFL where they still – have they'll go like two weeks back to back and then they'll go like three weeks off then they'll do a week so on and Mm. so forth so you know it's just kind of finding that balance uh but again we want to see as many fights as possible from the ufc from bellator pfl lfa the list goes on and on one so uh, yeah the more fights the better yeah i think we'll just leave it there i mean i think it was pretty clear what we were going to (laughs) side with there but i thought it was an interesting discussion because i do see yeah the the other side of the the other side you know, ultimately feeling like these cards get a little watered down when you kind of, when you do something in a year, the talent gets thinned out over the course of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the UFC has done such a great job and really just MMA in general has exploded so much that there's so many talented fighters in the world compared to, you know, if you go back to the tough boom of 2005, 2006, you know, you just comparing it globally, there's no contest. I mean, Right. I, I, that's been a big talk uh, this week is, you know, uh, due to some of the global fighters on UFC 267, how how much the UK has exploded since the tough boom and how, you know, there was times when the UFC was dependent on Elvis Sinisic. Mm-hmm. Most of you listening probably don't know who that is, but that was who the UFC depended on back then. And now you look at just how many big names are being cranked out of that UK market. You know, Cage Warriors is huge over there. Yeah. All in all, I just think that, yes, the UFC has a huge roster, and maybe they could do a couple less here or there, but I'm not going to advocate for it. You, you can miss me <laughs> yeah. with that shit. Yeah, you won't but, find that on this show. <laughs> <laughs> but all in all, I think that there's enough talent to fill these cards, even if, the name value might be missing on a few here or there. Overall, I think majority of the time, though, I walk away very satisfied with the cards. On to number two. Number two. So I don't feel very prepared for this question, I'll be honest, even though I put it on here. But <laughs> we'll see how this goes. This can so, be an open discussion here. So the UFC has their own Hall of Fame. They, they run, they operate their own Hall of Fame. I, I wanted to come prepared with okay, so you got Major League Baseball, 
NBA, NFL. I know the NBA does not actually operate their own Hall of Fame, I believe. It is a pro basketball Hall yeah. of Fame um, or just a professional. I forget how it's worded. Um, mm-hmm. I think the NFL is similar. I believe Major League Baseball operates their own Hall of Fame. I used to think that all three leagues did, but then I found out when I was put this question on here that the NBA does not. And right. It took me down a rabbit hole. <laughs> Regardless, that's not really relevant, but the point is Jim Miller and Andre Orlovsky had big wins a couple weekends ago and yeah. a question posed on this podcast. and You might have seen it on some of your favorite podcasts. I'd like to think that they've been uh, listening to our stuff to get their questions, but... What do I know? Yeah, I mean, we should be your favorite podcast. <laughs> we got the ball rolling on that discussion. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, just anyway. Little... We both were in agreement that we felt like both those guys, Arlovsky, Jim Miller, had done enough to be in the UFC Hall of Fame. Yeah. And I saw some people that said no for Jim Miller specifically. Mm-hmm. So the question is, where should the line be drawn in accepting a UFC fighter into the Hall of Fame? And to bounce off that, how much achievement does it really take to get in? Man, this is a really interesting question because, like, you know, you could be like, oh, well, you got a minimum, you have to become a champion. I mean, gosh, you can't get put into the Hall of Fame if you're not a champion. But then you look at the other sports, there's a plethora of people in their Hall of Fames that never have gotten a ring or a championship, so on and so forth. And (laughs) I think that's how it should be kind of held in the UFC, Jim Miller, example number one. Yeah, the guy's never fought for a belt, but he's always been, or he isn't now, but he was once a perennial contender, always fighting the top guys. He has the most fights in UFC history. He's tied for some of the most wins in UFC history, some of the most finishes in UFC history. So again, never a champion, but a guy that has always went in there and fought the best of the best, or whoever he is asked to fight for that matter. And he's setting records along the way. He's been a pioneer for the sport, for that division. Um, And also them as a human being, I think, plays a factor in it. How have you been for the company? How have you been molding the sport? Because he's these him and Andre Arlovsky are two guys literally since 2004, 2005 that have been in the UFC, and here they are today in 2021. So I'm not in the sentiment of, oh, you have to at least be a champion. Like, eh, obviously I'm not going to put someone in there that went one and five in the UFC, but if you've been in there you've put on great performances for the fans for the company you've gotten your fair share of wins you've you know had to grind out pull yourself from you know the bottom and fight up look at a guy like charles Oliveira. he's a great pioneer in my opinion uh for a ufc hall of fame one day regardless if he even defends the title one more or if he ever defends his title it's just you look at their resumes who they fought who they've beaten who they've lost to i think there's so many different factors and this may be a super broad answer, but I can't nitpick it down too much because at the end of the day, even for the UFC, there's no set in stone criteria. And what's cool about them is you can still be in the Hall of Fame and maybe it's for a fight you were in because there's a fight wing or you can be a contributor and be in that wing or obviously, you know, a fighter and such as we've seen. So uh, that's what's cool about the UFC Hall of Fame and what I think is unique about it. And again, man, it's just look at a complete body of work. What have you done for the sport? What have you done from day one to where you are now? Uh, Yeah, that's kind of the main things for me when it comes to the fighting side, UFC. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. So just based off of some of the names off the top of my head that I know are in the Hall of Fame, 
do you think Matt Sarah is a UFC Hall of Famer, like in your heart? See, that is when you put it that way, if you look at his overall body of, of work in the UFC, some would probably say no. So, so that, this is my thing is so Matt Sarah has two big achievements. He yeah. has the biggest upset of all time and beat George St. Pierre, was a welterweight champion. Right. And he won season four of The Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. Back when the, winning The Ultimate Fighter was a pretty big achievement, I would say. Um, besides that, he was kind of a 500 fighter. I mean, that's that's what he got put on season four for. That was the comeback. Mm-hmm. Yep. He had a great career, good career. But to me, if he's in the Hall of Fame, then I'm not saying that – I mean, again, it's – it's that that's achievement. He has those in stone achievements. Jim Miller right. has never even fought for a title. Right. But he's always been a guy that's been in really good fights. He's always hung tough with the top of the heap. And even now that he's fighting a lot of up and comers, testing a lot of young guys out, he's still fighting them very tough. Got one of the first knockouts of his career just yeah. a couple weekends ago. You know, and like you said, tied for or has the most fights in UFC history Mm -hmm. tied for the most wins. I mean, is that enough to, is that, is that say you're a hall of famer? It's kind of subjective and you obviously, we both were in agreement on it. I just, I saw some other people give their takes and where they didn't think Jim Miller was a hall of famer. I was like, well, you know, I don't want the UFC hall of fame to be like the, the basketball hall of fame where everybody who had a decent career gets in. Right. Like the basketball hall of fame is kind of a joke, hmm. but if you look at major league baseball's hall of fame, now we're talking. It's a bit stiffer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to get mean, in there. Now, sure. There's probably baseball has been around so long. There's a few guys in there that probably shouldn't be in there, but from a year to year basis, I mean, there's guys that I remember being studs growing up yeah. and they're not even getting 30% of the vote and not even like the guys that got caught doing steroids, just like guys that were, great in their time periods but Mm -hmm. maybe never won an mvp maybe never got to a world series never had a batting title or their pitcher never had a Cy young whatever it might be you know they they make it to where it really means something to get in so it's kind of like you know a guy like jim miller we we like jim miller so much we appreciate so much the contributions he's made Mm -hmm. to mma to the ufc that we want him to have that moment, right? That moment of like, you know, he gets that that plaque or uh, trophy and, you know, he's able to kind of say, I'm a Hall of Famer. We want him to yeah. feel good. We want him to be happy. Yeah. But is he really a Hall of Famer? I don't know. I don't know. I, To me, if Matt Sarah is a, is a Hall of Famer, that's like Matt Sarah should be the bar. Right. And that's no disrespect to Matt Sarah. It's just – his is purely based on achievement, yeah, but not really the body of work. And for Jim say. Miller, it's the exact opposite, with yeah. a couple records, of course, thrown in there. But it is. But are they records that? I mean, if right, you it's not that, a belt. It's... Well, I know, but like, I I think it's still impressive. But you know, to have that many fights and that many wins that you never fought for a title, I mean, that some people would almost say that like makes you look worse. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying I'm one of those people. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here, but right. I just now I'm on the fence about Jim Miller. I think a guy like Charles Oliveira has probably um, cashed his 
ticket into the Hall of Fame. I think a lot of that, you know, we'll see where the rest of his career goes, but I would like to think he couldn't really go any lower, you know, or couldn't, um, you know, make himself out of the conversation. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a couple guys that would be on the fence that I could um, get your thoughts on, you know, would, would someone like, is Tim Sylvia a UFC Hall of Famer? Two-time heavyweight champion. Two-time heavyweight champion. Yeah, man. But then, but then you know, he's he's kind of become a bit of a pariah to the to the fan base of the time. You know, he was the head of the heavyweight division at its weakest period. Randy Couture right. came back in his forties and demolished him. Right. I mean, we said Andre Arlovsky's Hall of Famer, and technically Tim Sylvia beat him two out of three times. But yeah, that's true, man. Um, it, I'm trying to think of some other guys that might be. You know some decent names to throw at you. Well, I mean, um, what a guy! Well, like I know it, this is a little different because of the name value, but like Brock Lesnar, would he be a UFC Hall of Famer? <laughs> you know, I would say no, but I like, I like, I wouldn't be like angry at it. I know a lot of people right? would be, but all in all, that that one has to do with not just being a heavyweight champion, he defended against Carwin. But also, look at how much eyes he brought to the product. UFC yeah. 100. Yeah. You know, maybe he could get – I think him and Carwin's fight should be in there. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. That, that's another thing is, like, the Hall of Fame's weird where you have fights and, like, yeah. now So Don you can, Jones, like, be in the Hall of Fame, but you can't be. Yeah, like, they were <laughs> saying John Jones is a Hall of Famer now, and, and I'm like, well – He's not, but so technically, so is Alexander Gustafson, you know. So maybe should the fight wings be for some of these? Like, should there be kind of that fight wing? Should you be trying to implement some of these guys like Jim Miller? Yeah, these guys that are like give them a fight instead. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, uh, one of the names that was brought up on um, Morning Combat, I'll I'll get your thoughts on this because they talked about it. It was Michael Bisping if he had never won the middleweight title. Ooh, wow. Now, obviously, you don't know where his career goes after losing to Luke Rockhold. You don't know. If, obviously, True. the GSP fight doesn't happen. But just, you know, great career. He was a huge uh, marketing piece for the UK, and they constantly went to that well time over time. But the title sealed it, though, you know, kind of deal. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. That's interesting. Because now we look well, at him like a no-doubter. I mean, he got in and nobody batted an eye. Right. That's true, man. This, Yeah, it's just so – and it could be so opinionated. Like, you could get a different answer from – you could ask 10 different people and they could all give a completely different answer and reasoning behind the answer. This is this went a lot deeper than I actually thought. And there's guys – yeah, and there's guys like BJ Penn who were the king. That's a Hall of Famer to me, you know. It yeah. is. But then you look at the – what is, I mean, the 10 straight right. losses in the UFC. Like now, I mean, I'm with you. I'm just simply painting a full yeah. picture here that, yes. you know, he went a decade without winning a fight, but was still fighting once a year for that time. Had 10 straight losses. His UFC record might not even, I don't know what his UFC record is in total. It's probably pretty close to 500. If not, he might have more losses than wins at this point in his UFC career. But I and think there, ultimately for where he was at his peak, you know, I would say he's a Hall of Famer. I'm just saying that there's a lot of discussion that could be had for a lot of different guys. I think it's so much different than team sports too. 
Yeah. Like when you were talking is. about, you know, this is literally an end. I know that there's a team behind these fighters. So they, a lot of the fighters do kind of treat fighting and MMA as like a team sport at times. Cause you have your team, your gym that you train at. You don't, there are some guys that refuse to fight their training partners, their teammates, but all in all, it's an individual sport based on individual yeah. achievement, individual skill. That's why it's a lot different. Football, baseball, basketball, right. You right. know, those sports are much more dependent on the people on your team, the people around you for success. So it's almost a little harder. That's why I feel like MMA should be more judged on the achievement side because, you know, I don't like how, you know, Joey Votto is the best player for our hometown team, Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. A constant point against him in years where he's been in an MVP discussion, um, even for his Hall of Fame discussion, is that he's never – he's on his Reds teams, they've never won a playoff series, never been to a World Series. Right. I think his individual achievement or his individual success is enough to – Put him in Hall of Fame. He is yeah. an MVP winner. He came in second place to so another year. He should have won it that year. Yeah. You guys done a lot. But that's just like to, to me, I don't agree with that argument in a team sport that like team success somehow devalues an individual player's contributions. Right. MMA is just the opposite, I guess, in my eyes. I don't know. Maybe I'd feel differently. It's it's a case by case basis, but I just want to I thought it was an interesting discussion to be had well and i have one more question to add on to it real Mm -hmm. quick then yeah of course with mma exploding with its globalization that we've seen over the past 28 years would you love to see an mma hall of fame all encompassing mixed martial arts hall of fame rather Um, than just ufc i would rather see that rather have that the the ufc hall of fame because there are guys that will never get into the ufc hall of fame that should be even about for their UFC achievements, yeah. Uh, Frank Frank Shamrock, due yeah. to his relationship with Dana White, will never be in the UFC Hall of Fame. Probably. Wonder but if he Tito should will. <laughs> There's another he guy might, for the. <laughs> he might get in there for a fight, maybe, maybe him yeah. and Chuck's fight or something. But that's a good question. I, I, you know, I, I do. There needs to be an MMA Hall of Fame. You know, uh, yeah. I don't know how that would work. What neutral body would? Uh, kind of take charge of that, but that the would sport be... sport is becoming big enough, respected Well, enough. even if you look at the history, I mean, look at some of these guys whose entire careers were made in other promotions. You know, Pride yeah. had Kazushi Sakuraba, Mirko mm-hmm. Krokop at their best. Vanderlei Silva was at his best in that promotion. Fedor yeah. Emelianenko never fought in the UFC. Yeah. You know, there's... there's a, And then you can... I mean, you can go back even further. Boss Rutten, yes, he is a former... UFC heavyweight champion, but he did most of his work before that. I mean, Valley right. Tudo over in Japan, you know, he had wars with guys like Ken and Frank Shamrock, among others. And there, there is definitely a place for that. And then even today's uh, fighters, I think there's a lot of guys that have done a lot in even places like Bellator. You know, Michael Chandler's been a big guy for that promotion who will probably not be able to replicate that success in the UFC due to the just time age and timing. But, you know, I think he's probably earned 
a Hall of Fame spot in MMA. Um, yeah, definitely that would be my answer. Maybe you and I can start it, Noah. Hey, we we got big we got big plans for the future, so maybe that could be one of them. Just put it on the list, you know. <laughs> Number three. Speaking of hey. Pandora Millionenko, here he is. He just He's had been all over win. the show this week. <laughs> yeah, he had a big win last Saturday um, over Tim Johnson, former UFC veteran and number two ranked Bellator heavyweight. And Fedor, in the lead up to the fight, there was a lot of discussion about Fedor and the great career he's had. Obviously, there was a lot of talk about how this could be his retirement fight, but then after the fight, it looks like it's not going to be. Uh, Daniel Cormier was one of those people, and we love Daniel Cormier. You know, he's a lovable guy. You know, he's one of the main, he's one of the big personalities that the UFC has. Obviously, former light heavyweight and heavyweight champion. Mm-hmm. But he did come out and make a pretty strong. Um, he did. He had some strong wording in this in this statement. I, some sort of interview he was doing. He was asked about Fedor and the time period where Fedor and the UFC were in talks for a potential contract signing that would have Fedor come in and fight Brock Lesnar for the heavyweight title. This was after Pride had closed, but I believe it was right before Fedor. I think Fedor ended up signing with Strikeforce. And uh, with Strikeforce, I believe Fedor went one and three. Because he had his his untimely three fight losing streak that people thought was kind of the end for him, where yeah he got caught in a submission by Fabricio um, Verdum, then he got destroyed by uh, Bigfoot Silva, and then got TKO'd by Dan Henderson, who was a middleweight fighting right. him up weight class. So the what DC said was that if Fedor had signed to the UFC in two thousand nine, that he would have been average. Now, now, he did elaborate a little bit. He said that, he said basically like, all right, you think he would come in and beat Brock Lesnar? I'll give you that. But his whole argument was that because he didn't think Fedor had a chance against guys like Junior Dos Santos and Cain Velasquez who were, you know, right on the, yeah, they were up. just starting then, really. You know? you know, that was like right before they, you know, a year or two yeah. before they really made their splash. Yeah. Um, but he said because he didn't think Fedor could beat guys like that, um, he didn't believe that Fedor would. He said he would be average. So the question is, if, do you believe Dominic that if Fedor had signed with the UFC back in two thousand nine, would he have just been average? No, I mean, this is again, and I talked about it on Monday, so I'm not going to act like I'm like the biggest historian on Fedor because at this time frame, I was all UFC. I was a young kid. I didn't know much about him. But now as I've gotten older and I know more and the accomplishments he's had, he's one of the greatest heavyweight fighters of all time in mixed martial arts history. And he's far above average um, at at this point in 2009 for the UFC weight classes. Uh, You know, I think a matchup with him and Brock favors Fedor, him and JDS, I think that favors Fedor. The the Gabriel Gonzagas, the Shane Carwins, uh, you know, Heath Herring. I'm trying to think of other guys that Brock beat and stuff during uh, this time. Frank Mir. Frank Mir. Frank Mir. He actually um, did beat uh, Big Nog Nogueira. Yeah, he's beaten, he's beaten a lot of UFC guys, you know, and uh, the toughest matchup is Kane, DC's training partner, and that's just because Kane was a bad matchup. For anyone at heavyweight, that's why he was so damn good at heavyweight and had the record for title defenses until I always turn the wrong way until Stipe <laughs> came along and broke that record. But uh, yeah, 
I respect DC. I love DC. This was, you know, a bit of a cold take, but I've had a shit ton of those in my day, DC. So don't worry about it, buddy. This is no slide on you. But uh, to me, based off, and, and I was watching the UFC at the time, the heavyweight division was really backpacking the UFC, even still during this time. And I know a lot of that was because of Brock, but still there weren't as many prominent names as you see today, especially like now, if you look at the heavyweight division, it's very, very healthy. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, in 2009, Fedor is far above above average he's a top three heavyweight in the ufc well that's the funny thing is that the the whole problem with the statement and the reaction from it is dc didn't use the right wording and the audience that listened probably just looked at the headline that articles had posted or that tweets were posted and didn't actually watch the clip right just miscommunication because basically what you just said is exactly what daniel cormier just said except he was more so, I guess, more strongly worded about it. I mean, basically what he said was that Fedor would be the third best heavyweight. He said the only two guys I remember him saying he would lose to is JDS and Cain Velasquez. So in a way, he's just calling the division below average, kind of. I, I guess so. I mean, he let me I, – I won't even try to – I guess I won't really try to pick Dissected. his brain on the subject. Yeah. I mean, my take, I think he does uh, beat Brock Lesnar, and I think he does it – I don't know if easily is the right word. I mean, I think it would be a pretty quick fight, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just think if Brock can't get a hold of him and take him down, I just think Fedor's pant yeah. speed and slipperiness overall is just going to be a rough time for him. I actually I actually favor Cain Velasquez, JDS, and maybe even Shane Carwin. Hmm. Um, I think Shane Carwin – you know, this was Fedor before his chin had really gone soft, but it's still the time period where he was being tested a lot more. Like I said, Dan Henderson in around 2011 uh, knocked him out, and that was a guy who, yes, Dan Henderson carries some wicked power, but for 185 pounds, Fedor's a yeah. heavyweight. Right. So, and after that, it would only get worse for Fedor, where he really just couldn't take the punch like he used to be able to. I think Shane Carwin could potentially have made that process more swift. I mean, you know, we talk so much about Francis Ngannou's power. I think Shane Carwin is very close to that level at that time. Oh, Carwin was – when he fought Brock, he was 12-0 with 12 knockouts at the time. Yeah, so. and that, that fight with Brock, I mean, if you watch that fight, he destroys Brock Lesnar for that yeah. entire first round. Problem is, guy just didn't have a gas tank. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you probably could even stop that fight in the first round the way it was going. Yeah. But uh, ref didn't, and I guess that was a good move because Brock comes back and wins. But, you know, I don't do the MMA math thing on here. I do think that Fedor has a good shot against Frank Mir. Um, I don't think Frank Mir was big or big enough or had a good enough wrestling to probably take him down, even though if he did get caught in a submission, it's game over. It's just like Fabricio yeah. Verdum, you know. Yeah. But um, Shane Carwin, I think, is a tough fight for him. But after that, I mean, you're talking about Gabriel Gonzaga. I think he wins – yeah. I mean, Noguera, I think he beats at that time again. He beats Randy Couture even, you know. Yeah, Randy Couture by that point. Um, I'd be interested to see him and Randy Couture earlier. Um, yeah. But, yeah. you know, this wasn't a Fedor at his prime, but it was like right after his prime. Right. I mean, this time period he was still winning. He came off of the two affliction fights where he knocked out Tim Sylvia and Andre Arlovsky in back-to-back cards. And those were the two guys – that really controlled the heavyweight division for the UFC. Exactly. 
in the time frame, the few years right before this period we're talking about. Right. Yes, I know neither guy was with the company, but they were both still doing big things. Yeah. All in all, he obviously wouldn't be average. Maybe the better question would be, do you think he holds the belt? Mm. See, that might just all come down to who's the belt holder, you know, at the time. And if, and that's if it was why Brock, then I, I guess, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. why I think yes, because I think if they sign him, that's the fight it was going to be made. It was him versus Brock. Man, imagine. If I just don't know if he holds it very long, because, again, you got to think that's right after UFC 100. Him, Brock happens, he wins, but then he's probably going up against Shane Carwin. I personally think Shane Carwin might knock him out. Shane Carwin then goes on to fight <laughs> to run into right. the the cutthroat killers of JDS and Kane Velasquez, and then the division moves on. But I mean, well, yeah, and historically, another... that's how the heavyweight division works. That's why the title defense <laughs> record is three. You know, that's so. that's a great point. <laughs> that is a great point. But uh, yeah, moving on. Number four. Oh, this is sad. Yeah, this question doesn't. I don't know if it really goes hand in hand with this or not, but. It's, <laughs> It feels like it kind of fits, I guess, to what we're talking about. We're talking about the decline of a fighter. And, you know, Fedor is kind of breaking the mold a little bit. He's 45 years old, and the guy still has some of those skills, the hand speed and speed in general. I talked about that most guys by that age should lose. Um, But we're going to talk about the reverse then, you know, when guys do lose that ability, but they keep fighting, you know. So, Dominic, what is the saddest decline? of a fighter that you've ever bear witness to. There are so many names ping ponging back and forth into my head, but uh, I'll give one. Obviously you're not allowed to pick. You're not allowed to pick Anderson Silva. Oh, I wasn't going to baby. You kidding me? Look at what he's doing in boxing. Come on now, baby. um, Chuck Liddell. I got to go to the Iceman. It was, that's a guy that again, as a little, little Dom, the Iceman with the the Mohawk tattoo on his head, the ice sickle shorts. And, uh, you know, he went from a, a guy that, you know, would lose, but would, would starch people in that octagon, was a champion, uh, was a pioneer, backpacked UFC during its darkest days. But then that decline was ever so prominent. And, you know, not only that, but when he would lose, it would be in very bad, convincing knockout fashion. It carried through four in a row or something before he three inevitably in a, three in four a row. Four or five, three in a row. Yeah. And so much so that Dana has to come out and basically say, Chuck, you got to retire. And that's, I think, when you know things are definitely on a downward spiral and pretty quick at that. And then it doesn't help that he goes back out again when he's 45 years old and fights Tito for a fight that should have never happened, loses that one. That just makes it even worse. Um, So it's just sad to think about a guy that is such a legend, such an OG, but did fall from grace and it did come very swiftly and very convincingly, I had to go Chuck Liddell. So mine is going to be BJ Penn. Yeah, that's, in the, a, that's in the, okay. One. So I obviously I didn't witness this live, but for me the bright I guess the bright side is not so much for this case, but in general the bright side for me was that when I became a fan of MMA and of watching the UFC, I never had really watched it before and really didn't know the majority of its history. I knew little things. But because of that, when I went back and watched, it was like I was watching it live in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dominic, you remember being in our dorm room and I watched Matt Sarah versus GSP I'll never for forget the first it. time. And I <clears throat> I think you asked me, you're like, what, what uh, card are you on? Because I was watching from <laughs> UFC 50 on. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh, it's uh, Matt Sarah fighting George St. Pierre. I know George St. Pierre's only lost like once or twice, so this should be pretty quick. I'm sitting then, on the side like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I just go nuts. So <laughs> when I'm telling you that as I kept going along, because now I've seen every event, every fight night, my God, is it hard watching the fall of BJ Penn? Because yeah. the, with Chuck Liddell and – you have don't get me wrong, that's up there. It's I mean, I'm probably number for me, it's like number two, number three. But at least after a couple knockouts in a row, someone stepped in. Dana White, yeah, we, said, we hung him up. Hey. Yeah, he's like, Here's a job, a little cushy job for you, corporate. Yeah. Stop fighting with BJ Penn. It's like nobody wanted to help this guy from himself when he lost his ability. It's like he was just – it wasn't just the losses, but just – he just had nothing left. Yeah. And it seemed – and the UFC just kept giving him fights. Yeah, I and never it didn't make any that, sense. Man. It never made yeah. sense. I mean, it was around when he had that – he had a main event uh, fight night with Yair Rodriguez. Yeah. This is around when I started watching, but I had already made enough progress to kind of see BJ Penn at his peak by that point. And I just saw Yair just uh, destroy him. And, like, yeah. it was so hard to watch. And I'm just, like, didn't feel good watching it. And then the UFC, again, kept bringing this guy out. And then you see what BJ Penn's kind of – his life has kind of turned into outside the octagon. It looks like he has a lot of personal turmoil going on. Um, you know, you see the clip online of him getting knocked out by some drunk asshole mm-hmm. at some bar or some – I mean, just – it's so hard to watch because this guy was pound for pound, maybe the best fighter of his of that time when he was at his best. I mean, he might oh, have he been was the insane. best. One of the best. And he, and he did it across so many different divisions. You know, he, he was always moving around. Yeah. So to see his fall was so hard because it should have been a lot shorter than it was. Really, he shouldn't have had that hard of a fall. I mean, personal battles aside, I'm, I'm not saying his personal life could have been savored, but. He shouldn't have been fighting in 2015, 2016. And yes, he did have some short retirements in between, but he always came back and UFC would just give him another fight. And it's just like, why? Like, yeah, maybe he's not getting finished in all these fights, but I mean, putting him up against Ryan Hall for him to get knee barred, and then he's going up yeah. against Clay Guida. And, you know, it's just, what's the point, man? Yeah, was I mean, like what was the losing streak? Like six, ten? seven, eight in a row, 10 in a row, nine years. Well, I know it was like nine years without a win or something, or ten years yeah, without a win, it was, and it's just yeah, it was hard to watch that. That's yeah, that's it just cool. felt like nobody wanted to step in and like save this guy from himself. Right, right. So I hope that that's not the same case for fighters that seem to be on similar paths right now. You know, Tony Ferguson's a hard one right now. Yeah. Um, who else? Tyron Woodley had a bad one. Well, Tyron Woodley was a tough one. Um, you know, I you could argue that I guess it worked out. He got a big payday for boxing right. Paul. So, you know, but yeah, all in all, it's tough watching guys kind of, you know, start to, when you know that they're not the same fighter, but it's like, they're good enough to compete, but like they're not at the level that you want them to be at anymore. Right. It's always hard. And we'll probably, there, there's a question at the end that'll probably relate maybe a little bit to this, but I will wait and go over that then. Right. So number five, uh, let's try to let's bring things back. You know, let's get a little bit more yeah. you know, 
uppity. I mean, this is, I don't know if this is a happy question, but this is something we can make fun of ourselves a little bit here. Yeah. Who are some fighters that we either overrated or underrated early on in their career? And, you know, Dominic, this is one of those topics that there's a lot of them for us because, again, even though we were watching a lot, you know, once I got into MMA, we were watching a lot of MMA. But to watch it at the – not just watching every card, but studying every card like we do now and really learning about these fighters lower on these cards, that's something that I can say I wasn't doing in 2016, 2017, no. 2018, really before we did this podcast. So bear with us that maybe some of these takes were – I don't want to say that we were casuals. I think we were pretty hardcore fans, but maybe more casual on the undercards, if you will. Yeah. Casual us now are looking back are like stupid casuals. That's what we think now. But I have to just let's just have an open discussion. Let's just go back and forth, give some names, have some yeah. fun with this one. But I mean, I have to start with a recurring theme here on the podcast, and it's got to be me just giving it all out to Jojo, Joey, and Calderwood <laughs> at UFC 203, and just her in general during that time when she had just came into the UFC as a bantamweight at then. She's a flyweight now. Um, was was incredible at um, and she's still a great fighter, but the way I looked at her then I was like future champion, she's gonna dominate everyone, she's gonna steamroll through Jess Gondrod, she's never been taken down, never lost a round. It's like I'm talking about Chael Sun and baby. And then she gets starts by Jess Gondrod. And while she's still had a good career since, it's been very back and forth. She's went down a weight class and not had a great success there. But uh that's definitely one where I jumped the gun trying to be cool, look smart in front of all my friends and bit me right in the hind end well you went with the ufc 203 fighter and i'll give you one of the same oh i know what's coming after a fight on the main card i looked at the winner jimmy rivera and i said that's a future ufc bantamweight champion right there you want to know where jimmy rivera is now not in the ufc and uh, jimmy rivera had a good career in the ufc but ultimately the guy's contract was up in august and he walked I really thought that guy was going to be champion. Yeah, and we had a very good time with his family at UFC 203 as well, just saying. Yes, yes we did. Yes, we did. Fun time. I'm trying to think of someone that I've underrated. That's kind of like the harder question for me. One that came to mind that's not really, I guess, accurate to – just to keep the discussion going. Israel Adesanya I might have underrated a little bit. Um, not yeah, necessarily when it when it came to getting past guys like Derek Brunson, I was like, you know, fair. But right. when he went up against Robert Whitaker, I think Israel Asanya is such a retro-ish fighter in the sense that he has an exceptional skill set for what he does. His kickboxing right. is the best baby in the entire UFC. But you know, he's not got like a full, he's not a full mixed martial artist and like a, a well-rounded fighter, really. I mean, he's very good right. at of not being taken down. Like he's, he's expert at his defense in some of those areas, but like, he's not a wrestler. He's mm-hmm. not, he doesn't have a fantastic jujitsu. So when it came to when he was going up against Robert Whitaker, I thought Robert had a much more well-rounded skill set. Yeah. I thought Whitaker would, you know, put that to work, to put that to use. And then obviously, you know, Paulo Costa, I thought was going to knock out Israel Adesanya too. One of my most infamous takes on this show. So um, 
that might be an example of overrating one guy and underrating another. Like I've always uh, thought Israel Asanya was a fantastic fighter. Right. But now where he's kind of being put in discussions of like, you know, I felt like I remember when him and Anderson Silva fought, you know, a lot of times, a lot of people thought it was passing the torch. I was like, I mean, I guess he's the closest thing to Silva, but I'm right. Like, in my head, I was like, "There's," I was like, "He's not going to have that kind." You didn't of expect where he's at today, yeah. Yeah, and but you know, he's only looking. It looks like he's only going to go up from here. So that one's only going to get more, I guess, worse over time. Um, did you Gosh. have another one that you thought of? I'm I'm looking through rankings right now, trying to find someone that really pops out as like an underrated person to me. I really am. Let me look. Let me look. Let me look. I mean, I didn't think Kamara Usman would beat Tyron Woodley. Yeah, that's for sure. That, and look at that. now Kamaru has become literally one of the best best pound for welter, pound. Yeah, maybe one of the best welterweights ever. You know, let me think. This might be a weird one, and maybe this is probably for everyone. And I'm not trying to say this just to fill airtime and try to come up with someone. But as I look, being that I've you know the heavyweight division has had its it's odd, darker days, and even as of recent, it's not been the greatest, and now it is. Well, there's kind of a guy that fits in with how the division works. I think I've underrated Marcin Tybura because of just kind of, and I know this isn't like the biggest name, the biggest star compared to like an Izzy and stuff that we've discussed, but it's someone who's all of a sudden back on what, like a five-fight win streak right now, and I truly think like this guy does have some pretty good talent if he can – keep his gas tank in check and like be a contender potentially. Whereas I would have never thought this even a year ago, I would have never thought he'd be the number eight ranked guy fighting number five this weekend and Alexander Volkov. And while I think that is a tough test for him, I still think it's a fight he can win. And a year ago, I would have never said, I think he can beat Volkov. So that's a really weird one. But as I'm looking at the rankings, I'm like, dude, Marcin Tibura, and this is probably underrated from everyone. But I actually do like his skill set much more than I would have a year or two ago, especially how it kind of fares with some of these elite level heavyweight guys. Another guy that I I, I wasn't one of the bigger culprits of this, but I, I I was a culprit, and I think there was a lot of people listening that would say they were even more uh, overrated. Johnny Walker, yeah. He was looked yeah. at as like the kryptonite, the John Jones there for a time, and then Corey Anderson said there's levels to this. You want to hear one that might hurt? And it just clicked right know, in my head. I know what it's going to be. I was thinking about saying it, but go ahead. Cody Garbrandt. Yep, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is a kid. God, and we met the guy when he was just really peaking and he was undefeated, starching everyone in the UFC. Then he puts on one of the greatest title fight performances you will ever see. I tell everyone I get a chance to. If you've never seen seen him beat Dominic Cruz, you need to go watch it right now. Well, Dominic, tell point, me, tell me when, when you were going into that fight with Dominic Cruz, I thought there wasn't a shot in hell that Cody Garbrandt was going to win that fight. No, I didn't I think mean, he was going to win. And, that and fight. a lot of that, and this isn't a slight on you, but you thought really highly of Dominic Cruz's skill set, and so yeah, I think some of those thoughts rubbed off on me at the time because I hadn't seen him fight as much as you had. Yeah. So I just I looked at Dominic Cruz as like this all-time bantamweight that couldn't be figured out, this puzzle that couldn't be figured out. Cody Garbrandt. When, when Cody dominant cruised, dominant cruise was just like, 
dude, this kid's the best bantamweight in the world. This kid's not going to get touched in this division. And you look at where he's at now. What's he lost? Four out of five, which is just mind-boggling to think of. Three of them are via KO, one to Rob Font. And again, they're all to great competition. Don't get me wrong there. But it's like you're looking at his career now. We're like, maybe he should test out flyweight, in which we're going to see him do in December. It's like it. In 2016, when he beat Dominic Cruz, I was thinking he just proved me wrong big time. And the performance he had said to me, this kid's not losing. He's going to be a bantamweight goat, one of the best of all time. I always say jokingly to this day, the Cody Garbrandt that fought Dominic Cruz that night is the best bantamweight of all time. But that Cody Garbrandt has not showed up since then. So it's weird. It's unfortunate. He's an Ohio boy. He's one of our favorite fighters. But it pains me to say at that point, I guess I did overrate his true skill set with how it stacks up with this division. And you look at the division now and where it's come since 2016, it's only gotten harder for him to get back into the mix, man. And there's some guys from, again, when I started going back and watching a lot of these earlier cards that I didn't know how their career would pan out, but I would say I overrated them or maybe underrated them. The one name that stuck out to me was Brandon Vera. I've overrated mm. him a little bit. I was a big yeah. fan of him. And then he kind of fizzled out. Obviously, he became the one heavyweight champion for a while and right. uh, has really made a great career for himself. But at the time, he kind of fizzled out of the UFC. Um, who was the other guy in the UFC that's nickname was the Spider? You know what I'm talking about? Kendall Grove? Kendall Grove. The tarantula. Was I love yeah, Kendall the Grove, bro. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. But uh, he was a guy. I had just I was, thought about him, funny enough. I really liked him. And then he yeah. kind of fizzled out, too. Didn't really have yep. the chin, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of some other guys that maybe I've, I mean, we hit a lot of names there, but I just want to, you know, it's just so fun to kind of. Well, take, there's so take, many more that just are underrated and overrated in general, but to think about it at a personal level really makes you like want to dig and, you know, think it, it really hurt me. Uh, maybe this is a sense of overrating. We already just talked about him. So that's why he came to mind. Uh, Shane Carwin. I didn't realize how quickly his career fizzled out after his yeah. loss to Brock Lesnar. He That's had true. one more loss to JDS, and then he had to retire and has never been able to come back to professional MMA. Right. So he's one that, like, I was expecting his career to go on for quite a bit longer. Um, at times, I probably underrated Roy Nelson due to his stature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, even though he's, you know, he's not exactly at the best of careers. Uh, maybe overrated Stefan Struve a little bit because of his mm -hmm. pure size, but um, I, don't know. I overrated just don't... CM Punk during his debut in the UFC. <laughs> I'm glad that you can finally come to terms with that because I feel like you blocked that from your brain. But I it took I, 152 episodes. I remember it. I remember. I'm trying, guys. I think to... he's going to do it. I think he's going to do it. I, I'm trying not to like expose you but a part of me is like i remember dom being like if anyone was going to do it i wanted to do it to myself so yeah all right let's move on because i think you know it is fun though. we could go on and on there yeah. yeah number six this is ufc ufc's done a really good job of uh yeah you know with their commentating teams they've built up quite the team that they can you know constantly putting in you know they do a lot of three man or now woman uh, booths and they're able to kind of move people around depending on if it's pay-per-view or fight night or contender series so i mean shout out to even some of the people we're not going to talk about like john anik brendan fitzgerald of course uh, uh, um now i'm forgetting is it john gooden uh john gooden 
uh, Dan is one that I forget Dan's last name, but he's been doing contender series and does the um, weigh in show. I can't yeah. remember his last name, but Dan, shout out to Dan, Dan Kelly. I think that's his yes, last name. Dan, Dan Kelly. Kelly. Yep, yep, yeah. 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 And um, now I'm blanking on her name, our girl that just started on the contender series. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. She technically has one fight as yeah, a fighter. But it's not in the so... UFC. Okay, fair enough. Then Laura that's Sanchez. why I didn't. Yeah, Laura <laughs> I was going to talk about her on this list, but I'll, that's I'll, why I didn't put. That's why I didn't put okay. her on. But she's great too. I just yes, I'm sticking fantastic. with the the people that are known as UFC UFC fighters. fighters. Okay, so we got four. We did have Dan Hardy, but he is no longer in the with the UFC. Right. So we got Daniel Cormier, Paul Felder, Dominic Cruz, and Michael Bisping. And I think I speak for both of us when I say. I like all these guys. Can't go wrong. No. Great fighters and great in the booth. But I'm going to give us the task, Dominic, of ranking these four fighters for their ability on the commentary booth. And I think we'll just go one by one. So who is your number four? Starting with last or number one? Okay. Who's your number four? I got to go Dominic Cruz. I think he's, again, they're all great at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. But it's just personal preference to me and – Kind of just the way that they not only can give analysis of a fight, but then mesh with the rest of the booth as well. So I'll put Dominic Cruz number four. So what's funny is I think I'm going to go Dominic Cruz as well. Yeah. But again, I don't. I think it's just I think his personality just doesn't always fit. What That's I what like. I think it is. I think yeah. he's a bit um, argumentative sometimes. He's a little right, a bit know it all sometimes. But mm-hmm. I mean, he does know his shit. And that's the thing. He's probably the best of these four when it comes to analyzing a fight and really breaking it down from like a technical side. But I tend to like more the entertainment side for the commentary. So that's why personal preference, number four. Number three. moment. Hold on. Sorry. 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 Just a moment that I always think of when of Dominic Cruz is him and Joe Rogan during the Connor Abib fight is just so funny to me when Connor's on his back. And um, Dominic Cruz goes, you know, he's not taking much damage. I think he's almost turtling up and trying to get Habib to gas himself out. Oh. And Joe Rogan goes, no, he's absolutely getting mauled or something like that. Oh, I, I always think about, about that. that moment. I, so I, I, when you started talking about it, I'm like, is this some moment I've missed out on? And then when you <laughs> no. said, I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Number three. Michael Bisbing. Paul Felder. Yeah, this is where we differ a bit, but that's okay. Um, Paul Felder is good. Um, I like his personality. I like, again, it's going to be all compliments. I think just compared to he can't – his personality just gets a bit bogged down when you have Michael Bisbee Mm -hmm. and or Daniel Cormier next to him. He's just not really able to shine when you have two guys like that next to him. Yeah, and I got to say, if we're going all personality-wise, Bisbing's number one, in my opinion. Like, if you add his personality to the booth, he, he's levels above each of these guys. Well, this is why it's just so personal cool preference. Him. Right, I mean, right. I'm not saying I'm all about personality, but I will say, like, if I'm watching a broadcast, like, I do like guys that have fun with it. Like, yes, there is a – the technical side is important and should be, you know, there should be someone that can offer that. But all in all, I am watching. I'm paying for a fight. I, I I want guys that are able to kind of, you know, build the story, really, yeah. you know, analyze what I'm watching, you know, be able to, 
digested an affair. Yes. <laughs> That's always a, mm-hmm. a, a sticking point for some people. An affair, concise, you know, dialogue. And guys that can have more fun with that, you know, Bisping and Cormier being my top two, I think, do a great job of having that personality and, you know, still being smart about what they're talking about, but being able they, – they seem to know a lot what a lot of these fighters go through more personally than anybody. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but regardless, number two? Daniel D.C. Cormier. And I will go with Michael Bisping. Which leaves number one for me. Mr. Paul Felder, the Irish Dragon. So the, I actually put this on here because you said this on a previous episode, and I was kind of yeah. caught off guard. Not because Paul Felder's not great. Obviously, I just said yes. I think all these guys are great. But typically, he he's probably the most underrated of yeah. the, the existing I members. Agree. I think a lot of that is because what I just kind of said, and I'll let you give your take on this because you are a Paul Felder guy. Yeah. But – He's not as t- he's not he doesn't have the technical breakdown of a Dominic Cruz, and he doesn't quite have the personality of a Bisping or DC. That's always been my mm. analysis of Paul Felder on commentary. He's really good. He probably has more of the heart. You know, he, he adds a little more humanity to the group. Right. But in terms of what I just said, like those being the two main aspects, I always felt like he gets a little overshadowed no matter who he's working with. Yeah, he's a bit just right there in the middle of all of those boxes, and. uh like you said, he kind of brings that that heart to it as well and can relate to a lot of fighters. And obviously all of these guys can do that at the end of the day. But there's just something about Paul Felder, man. And he's been doing a lot of contender series this year. He's done a ton of fight nights. He's been getting a lot of pay-per-view time lately, uh, including UFC 267 this coming weekend, which I'm excited to hear. At least I'm pretty sure he's going to be there. They said that on, on the contender series. So uh, I like when he gets these big opportunities. I loved him when he called the Connor. Uh, and Dustin Poirier fight. I think he actually got – he called the first one for sure. I don't think he called the second one. But uh, either way, man, I just think there's something about him that really pulls me in. I love listening to his voice. Is that weird that the voices can kind of sway oh, I think, at the same time? I could see a lot of people saying that they don't like listening to Michael Bisping if they're from the States. <laughs> right, right. Because, you know, um, if you don't like if – if that, if that accent is going to kind of grate on you, you're probably yeah. not – it'd be like people in the U.K., having to listen to someone on cage warriors with like a thick Southern accent. They probably yeah. maybe some trying to listen like to it. us right now. On the- <laughs> just oh, listen yeah. to you saying Carolina. Louisiana, Carolina. Oh man. Shout out Michael Bisping. He shouted us out one time. Long yes, he live, did. Long live the King. But you uh, know yeah. what? Can, I, can we just, I, this is a complete anecdote. Sideboard. <laughs> I'm so like embarrassed that the shout out we got is for the clip of the worst take <laughs> I've ever done of that UFC 199. The, the only time you've ever messed it up, ever. Yeah, I've I've and always was... been able to just nail it on a dime, and then I messed it up in the recording. I remember when we were recording and you did that, and I'm like, oh, no. I was so surprised and caught off guard. Oh, But shout out Michael Bisping. Yes. But yeah, man. Um, I love Paul Felder again for me, and again, it's personal preference. I think he checks all the boxes. I love listening to him. Great analysis, great personality meshes well with any variety of broadcasting, which I think goes a long way uh, as well. And then obviously if you want to give your thoughts on why DC is your number one, take the floor. I think I said everything. I'm, I mean, just the personality and um, I, and you know, I just, I think he's kind of everything. I've, that's my ideal mm-hmm. commentator right there. Yeah. Some people don't like him, especially when he's teamed up with Joe Rogan, but this is going to lead to my last 
little question before we move on. What's your ideal three-person booth right now, Dom? Ooh. Mm. Should we include Joe Rogan in this discussion then? Probably should, huh? Yeah. See, because I really like Anik, DC, and Felder. I like that trio a lot. And obviously, we love Joe Rogan. We don't want to get rid of him. We're not going down that rabbit hole again. But I really enjoy when those three go together. Uh, there's something about I like the two fighter booth with the one color commentator because mm-hmm. the two as long as the two fighters aren't arguing because we've seen like if Bisbing and Dominic Cruz are together, it's not the best tandem to have with one another. But I really enjoy Felder DC with color commentary by Mister John Anik. Um, I'm gonna go with the Anik Rogan and DC trifecta that's probably yeah. the most controversial one even though it, it is probably the most popular overall yeah, yeah. but it, it, for having the most likes it probably has the most dislikes as well a lot of people don't like how you know laid back they can get um they can get a little goofy sometimes on broadcast but i've never really had any problems i i don't remember if that was the three-man booth for adesanya blahovich but that would be the one time that i've ever had an issue it was it was because i remember really not liking the and you know again they're analyzing what they're seeing but i just felt like they were i didn't like the it felt like they were just completely missing on purpose mm-hmm. anything blahovich was doing in that fight but yeah it was bad. i digress um also a, a, a low-key sleeper three-person team Laura Sanko has a lot of time to kind of build up that credibility. So like, I'm not going to include her right now just because she's so new to it. Brendan Fitzgerald He's with Michael good. Bisping yes. and Paul Felder is a great yes. three-person team. They're fantastic. I made it through all the Contender Series episodes finally. So I got to hear them quite a bit from season four. And I love that three-person it's team. Fitzgerald and Bisping, Michael are awesome. He sh- <laughs> the way they yeah. go back and forth is yeah. so much fun. I love Brendan Fitzgerald. He's a good he's a good follow on uh or subscribe on YouTube or yeah. follow on Twitter. I he does he doesn't have a lot of subscribers. You boost those numbers up. That guy deserves we'll, more. We'll get Brendan on here. We'll have a chit chat with Brendan Fitzgerald. <laughs> yeah. Uh and I do just have to say before we cap it off, I know she's not a UFC fighter, but Laura Sanko, as Noah said, she has been absolutely fantastic on the contender series this year. She's got two episodes left to do week nine and week ten. And I hope that before the end of 2021, we see her make her debut on a fight night. I really do. She's yeah. she's very good commentator. Should happen. That should happen. Number seven. This is a question that I got from a segment on my favorite MMA podcast that I seem to bring up time and time again. Morning well, comment. That's not our podcast, right? No. I mean. Okay, I, I get you can't pick your own as your favorite. Yeah, okay, come on, Dominic. Enough. Let's 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 be on let's be unbiased. Come on, Dominic. I'm just trying to get the listeners to hit that button. That's all. all right. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> so morning combat. Yes. Um, they had this segment that they've been doing on their on one of their episodes each week. Uh, it's called "Call Me Crazy." Call me crazy. Where um, BC gives he's known as he's kind of like you, Dom. He, he's the guy that gives a lot of he gives a lot of hot takes. You know. Oh yeah, baby. Yeah, he's 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 constantly. I guess doesn't do it a ton on recording, but. You know, he's, I guess, known as being a guy that does a lot of hot takes. So they did a segment where he would give five or six of like his current hot takes about other topics relating to MMA. And 
the whole point being is is he crazy for thinking that that's kind of the point so he had this this take about the ufc women's divisions that i found just so interesting that i wanted to pose it as a question on here mm-hmm. so dominic should the ufc consider combining the women's bantamweight and featherweight divisions and then make an open weight women's 135 through 155 division and call it women's heavyweight. So when I first opened the Google Doc before it was filled, when there were only seven or eight on here, we were looking for a couple more before we recorded. I saw this one and I'm like, huh, this is, I had never, I didn't see that episode. Um, and I had never really seen this question before. And I thought, hmm, this has some legs to it. It's because if you look at the divisions right now, it kind of does make sense. But I looked at it again today. Whoa, I just yanked my earbud really hard. Um, before we started recording, and I'm like, I'm going to pump the brakes. I like the idea of doing 145 to 155 women's heavyweight because it would then allow the UFC to keep their featherweight division. That's kind of not a division anyway. But then bring in a couple other women's lightweights. And I know there's not a lot out there, but if you combine them with featherweights, you get at least probably 15 gals. That's enough for a ranking system, right? And our girl Kayla Harrison could fancy on over in the UFC and get a little bit more comfortable, but I digress. We'll wait to talk about her a lot come uh, Friday's episode. But I don't like the 135-pound aspect of the question because I know it's the thinnest of the three rankings, um, you know, flyweight, strawweight, and uh, bantamweight. But it's still a division that, one, is the OG weight division of the UFC women's classes. They've got a full ranking system. We're still seeing, you know, it's it's top-heavy in a sense that Amanda's beaten a lot of these girls, but there's still some in there that are vying for their chance at a title. There's still some in that back half that are vying to get in into the elite competition, elite contender status. Uh, and then there's a plethora of girls that still aren't ranked but can still work their way in there in the future. It's deep enough to where I don't necessarily need it to be combined with these bigger weight classes. And if we're talking some 155ers with some 135ers, we could see some real big weight discrepancies that might not work out as well as a 145er against a 155er. So, again, I like the idea, but just not with the Bantamweights involved. I am curious to see what you think, though. So I think the Bantamweights have to be involved for this to work. Hmm. And I love this idea. But if you're going to take out 10 pounds of this 30-pound scale, you take out the 155 pounds. Because if you do 145 and 155 and take out Bantamweight, then you might as well just move on from the discussion. Because you said 15 would be enough for for a ranking. And I'm just like, really? Like, is it? I mean, I guess. Like... How many does men's flyweight have? Like they have like 20, like 20 24. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's not too much more than that. But all in all, to me, women's bantamweight is the OG division. And there is something to be said for that. It's the, the original, but it's just gotten so stale. And even yeah. if Amanda Nunes retires tomorrow, I don't think it solves all the problems. It's not just that you have a dominant champion. I, I actually agree. might be disagree with you a little bit on your sentiments about the lower half and the unranked parts of this division. I think there's a lot of 
a lot of people, a lot of women in this division that are simply taking a spot or just holding a spot and there's no real moving up or down. They just kind of stay stagnant. I don't see a lot of movement in this division. Uh, the most exciting thing that's happened to this division is Misha Tate reinserting herself and she's <laughs> fought true. once. Yeah. And you know, we'll see what happens when she, uh, she's, well, is she rebooked to fight Vivian? Yeah. Uh, November 20th. Okay. Regardless. I, I would I would be willing to accept like 135 and 145 mm-hmm. uh, because what you would end up seeing Dominic if you if you actually if they actually did this if they did a 135 to 155 division and said like this is a heavyweight women's heavyweight most of those women that are at 135 pounds would probably end up at 145 pounds when they weighed in right it's just like men's heavyweight like men's heavyweight yeah. is 206 to 265 but yeah nobody weighs in at 206 pounds besides maybe randy couture back yeah, in the right. day right i mean most of the guys weigh in between 230 to 250 pounds so i i i'm not saying it'd be perfect because you know there would be some probably pretty significant size uh differences but i would be interested to see how it would look in practice i again that would be a huge commitment the ufc will never do anything like this but i personally love this idea it would spice things up and it would give the ufc a reason to bring in people like kayla harrison to bring in bring back someone like megan anderson right you know there'd be some interesting matchups and if you had someone like a juliana pena who would be more at 140 to 145 pounds going up against 155 pound Megan Anderson or something. It'd right. be weird to watch, but I think it would be at least interesting. I just, if you're going to cut off 10 pounds, just take out the women's lightweight and we'll do 135 to 145. Then that actually still is very intriguing, in my opinion. Right. But I just thought that was a interesting. I'd never seen that brought up before. So shout out to Morning Combat for that one because oh, yeah. I thought That's that was unique. a very. Very intriguing concept. Number eight. No, so I'm gonna need some cl- I'm gonna need some clarification on this one, Dominic. Because the question is, what is the worst UFC main event ever? Now you sent this mm-hmm. once upon a time, yeah, in our UFC fellas <laughs> group chat yeah. on Twitter, right, right, that we have with our two buddies, and I asked for clarification then. You didn't give it to me because we were saved. <laughs> because then I just went on a rant. <laughs> yeah, you did. I basically said, all right, I need clarification. And then I just started going. He just went. Was... Yeah. I'm like, fuck it. I'm not even saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was also clear we were going to be talking about it on here. So, yeah. Now I need clarification. Are we going off of a main, a main event on paper? Like, what's the worst main event on paper? Or is it the worst? In practice, are we doing one each? How are we doing this? I say we go in the octagon, Noah. Let's do that. Okay. And funny enough, for me, the one I'm going to say kind of checks all the boxes anyways. I should probably go first because I'm going to be a lot less winded than what your answer is going to (laughs) be. So I'm really going to set this up for Noah here because he's going to take the reins. The historian, the librarian that is Noah Baker (laughs) is coming out very shortly. But for me, I have to cough. Hopefully you guys didn't hear that. That's, I back a, familiar, away. that's a familiar feeling in, in, in these parts. <laughs> I forget I can just do this. 
anyways, I'm back now. Um, so for me, UFC 208. No, I believe that's the proper answer or the proper number. Brooklyn, New York. It was the second ever pay-per-view for the UFC to have in New York City. Me and Noah at B-Dubs in Bowling Green, as always, baby. Really reminiscent. I'm going to shed a tear here. But uh, it was headlined by a women's... Funny enough, the title was the Women's Featherweight Championship. The inaugural. The inaugural Women's Featherweight Championship. Jermaine Durandamine and Holly Holm. Square off, one-on-one, mano-a-mano, five rounds for the championship belt. A new division. A new new division. Yeah. And whoever's the winner surely is going to welcome in the big, bad Chris Cyborg. Well, that (laughs) didn't happen either. But this fight was a bad main event on paper going in, obviously. Even though there was slight intrigue because it was a new division, but it's not that great of a main event, let's be honest. Then you look at the rest of the card, it's even worse. Anderson Silva got a win against Derek Brunson and won. He probably shouldn't have won, but I said he won that night, and I'm not going to go back on it. <laughs> I know he did. Um, I said, dude, he did just did the flashier stuff. He won. Anyway, the main event was a shit show. It was not very entertaining. It went all five rounds. GDR gets the nudge on the judges' scorecards. But wait, there's more, because not only did she hit Holly Holm once very badly after the bell, she hit her a second time very late after the horn sounded in between rounds and was never punished, never deducted a point, and goes on to point fight her way to a championship victory in a fight that was relatively lackluster before you add in that bullshit there with the late hits. Then I'm going to go a little bit after the fact of the fight too, just to really add a cherry on top here, because she wins the belt, and as soon as she's asked to fight, Chris Cyborg for her first title defense. No, I'm not going to fight her. She's been popped for steroids in the past. She's a cheater. I won't defend my belt against her. So then she never even defends the damn belt. She gets it stripped away from her, and Chris Cyborg becomes the champion anyway, and they've still never fought to this day. That main event is one of the worst on paper and one of the worst performing of all time, and I just had to give it a shout-out there. But Noah, here you go, boss. Well... I do just want to say, like, it, that main event just felt like such a waste of time because mm-hmm. Jermaine was just like, well, I'm not going to fight her. And they're like, huh? who did you think you were going to fight next? Like, this, it was kind of like that episode of SpongeBob where <laughs> um, where they're trying to teach uh, Man Ray to be, like, a good Samaritan. Have you yeah. – are you were you allowed to watch SpongeBob as a kid or did your parents – Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So – they have the wallet and I, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but man, they're like trying to be like, Hey, Patrick dropped his wallet, man, Ray, you should be a good Samaritan and give it to him. Yeah. So then he goes, excuse me, sir. I believe this is your wallet. And he's like, Nope, not my wallet. So then it all kind of comes down to man, Ray being like, so, <laughs> so I found this wallet. Yeah. And this ID was in this wallet. Yes. Yeah. And it was Patrick's the, ID. In this the ID on this wallet is you. Yes. Yep. So it would be safe to assume that whoever's ID was in this wallet it would belong to. 
Right. Sounds right to me. <laughs> we'll take it, but it's not my wallet. And then he beats the shit out of them. <laughs> that sounds like something that happened. Yeah. With the UFC pitching this whole fight to Jermaine Duran to me. It was like, yeah. It was like, all right, Jermaine, if you you're win this champion. fight, <laughs> you're going to have a huge main event with Chris Cyborg. You're going to get a big win over Holly Holm, and then you can fight Chris Cyborg. And she's like, yeah. And she's like, wait, me? Because like when they pitched it to her, it was probably like, well, the winner of this fight will be the inaugural women's featherweight champion. Right. We have a big signing coming in Chris Cyborg. And she's like, yep. And they're like, and you know, it would make sense for the winner of that inaugural fight to defend their belt in the first, uh, the debut for Chris Cyborg. Yeah, yeah that makes sense to me. And like, so defend your belt against her. Right. Oh, I'm not defending my belt against her. And then Dana just. Strips and strips her. <laughs> oh man! So I love that analogy there. By the way, <laughs> thank you. That's top tier. Now it's time for my answer. Uh, and all right, I'm just everybody gonna be, grab a coffee. I'm just gonna say there are like Dominic's answer is great. It's perfect. It's his answer. There are many like it, but that one is his. But he's wrong because <laughs> there are. I will get, allow people to pick two other main events in UFC history, but I'm only going to focus on one. Thank See, God. I love <laughs> I love watching the early days of the UFC, of MMA. It's just such a different time. Yeah. So much was different. The rules were a little more laissez-faire. Mm-hmm. The judges didn't exist because most fights were going two minutes, three minutes, until uh, a tooth went flying out of the cage. You know, normal shit, normal company. Well, unfortunately for the UFC, their their whole entire marketing of these early events was no holds barred, and someone two will enter, one will leave, someone must die. Yeah, Yeah, and that's great. And a lot of people are like, "I'm going to buy that," and they saw a lot of people buying those early events. But the problem is, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. Came in to go. Wait a minute, what's this human cockfighting you guys are doing over there? We don't like that because we're in Congress and we got nothing better to do. So a man, may God rest his soul, John McCain, decided that he didn't want this sport to exist anymore. He's a big fan of boxing. Mm-hmm. His wife may or may not have had a lot of money coming in from Anheuser-Busch who also put about 30 million per year into boxing advertisements but I'm sure that John McCain just didn't like the sport out of the graciousness of his heart. Right. I'm not here to shit on John McCain. The man's dead. He can't defend himself. But what did happen was he started advocating for the sport to be banned in all 50 yeah. states. And a lot of states did start to ban um, I, by this point, I believe it was just called uh, Ultimate Fighting or Cage Fighting. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't really called Mixed Martial Arts uh, universally at the time. So UFC 9 was to be held in Detroit, Michigan. And right. it was a big main event. Uh, they, the UFC, they were still doing their tournaments, their one-night tournaments, but they found that it was it was kind of hard to do tournaments and get the matchups you wanted because someone would get injured, someone would lose. So then they just started doing main events that were for their super super fight champion. 
So they did UFC 5 was the first one, and it was the very uh, intriguing rematch between Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock. Uh, that is my second choice because that fight <laughs> is garbage. It is 35 minutes of Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie's guard. No strikes, no advancement, just in the guard, and they just kind of rub on each other for 35 minutes. But it's not number one. But it's not number one <laughs> because – UFC 9, what it would happen to this, the, the main event was that my my good old friend Ken Shamrock once again, and you know, this isn't really his fault. This is just, he just so happens to be a part of both of these. He was going up against the beast, Dan Severn. Great fight. A huge fight at the time. Big seller for Detroit. The night before the card, State Athletic Commission goes, uh, see, we, we don't want you guys to have this card here, but if you do, as long as you follow these few rules, then we'll let, let it slide. Right. And the UFC's like, all right, we need to have this event. Let's see what the rules say. Shin guards, no, no closed fist strikes, headgear, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so Really, this was just the state of Michigan trying as hard as they can to get the UFC not to hold this event in their state. The UFC, eventually, they come to an agreement where it's like, all right, we'll do no no shin guards, no headgear, but we will not allow closed fist strikes. Yeah. So both gentlemen are told this before the fight. And immediately don't really know what to do because they have just been told they are not allowed to hit each other. Yeah. Now there 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 is a place in MMA history. I mentioned Valley Tudo earlier. They did open palm strikes that they did not allow closed fist strikes. But Dan Severn and Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock might have been a little bit more prepared for that. Dan Severn not so much. Basically, you're not prepared for this. So now you're coming in here going, all right. Not allowed to hit the other guy, basically. So yeah, we'll see how this goes. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> and mind you, there were judges by this point, but there still weren't rounds. Oof. So basically, this this round, it was thirty minute time limit. So at least they capped the it. Fight, the fight starts. I believe it is. I want to say Ken Shamrock. Takes the center of the octagon immediately. Dan Severn begins to circle Ken Shamrock. And he does that for essentially the entire fight. A half hour. There's a little bit more that happens, but ultimately there is. And I mean, towards the end, Dan Severn just starts saying, fuck it. And did start throwing strikes at Ken Shamrock. But all in all, for... The first half, two thirds of this fight, you see a man circle another in the octagon, and that's it. And I believe the fight was scored a majority decision for or split decision or whatever unanimous decision for Dan Severn. Hmm. But this fight would be has become known as the Detroit Dance because. Well, they just kind of danced around and circled around each other for 30 minutes and never threw anything. Right. So any other answer is wrong. 
because you kind of left out. Did you? Or maybe you did say, and I was I was trying to look up, make sure I had my my details ready. But did you mention the Durandamy home um, the the strikes after the bell? Yep, two of them. Okay, I'm glad to, because that's a big part of that. Yeah, no points taken away. Yeah, bullshit. Terrible main event, and it's probably the worst one I've seen live. But I refuse to accept any other answer. Like I assume <laughs> that most people who answer this either are going off of something that they saw live, which mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's what you're doing, and or have never seen this fight before. Right. Because this this fight is better than taking NyQuil. I mean, it puts you to sleep much faster. Right. So Highly recommend if you're trying to get a good night's sleep, turn on the UFC nine main event. There you go. You'll be good to go. It's the one of the it's the worst fight in UFC history. I mean, there's nothing else that can be said about it. It's it's just it's it's a garbage fight. Two guys that are way too good to be in this position. And you know, all the the shady politics around it. I hate politics. Yeah. I hate that. And I hate that I have to, you know, I kind of was shit talking a dead man. Now he's dead. I can't even talk you, shit about You weren't about too him. harsh. You weren't too harsh. I can't talk shit about John McCain and his impact on that anymore because he's dead now. I got to be nice. Right, right. I digress. That is my answer. Do you want me to ask number nine just so you can chill? No, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. Are, are you? Yes. I'm curious. Have you, I know you've probably seen UFC 9, but have you watched that fight in full? No, I have not actually. So when I read your thread in the in the DMs, and then to hear you put it all into words here, um, it's, it's 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 very fascinating to see. And I'm least. sure that does not make you have any interest in actually watching it. You are very correct in that statement. <laughs> UFC five main events close second. Ken Shamrock, Hoist Gracie two. Although I do want the poster because I think the poster is pretty sick. But we love posters. Yes, we do. Number nine. We had a recent Bellator event. No, not the one with Fedor, but the one prior that saw the final four of the light heavyweight Grand Prix go down to determine the finals. Um, our, our final fight will be between Corey Anderson and Vadim Nemkov. Corey Anderson got a very swift and mm-hmm. quick win over the current heavyweight champion, Ryan Bader. Yep. Now, Ryan Bader was at one time a two-division champion in Bellator. He was the heavyweight and light heavyweight champion. He lost his light heavyweight title to Vadim Nemkov. Hasn't defended his heavyweight title in a while. Um, you know, he's he's had some pretty big highs in Bellator. But, Dominic, is his career on the downswing at this point? Yeah, this is an interesting question. Um, I want to say no right now, but he lost his light. Again, this is a guy that was a double champ two fights ago, right? King Mm -hmm. of the light heavyweights and heavyweights. But he loses his belt convincingly to Vadim Nimkov, right? And uh, it was via head kick. But again, Nimkov is a world-class kickboxer. He's a guy that I foresee potentially being in the UFC in the foreseeable future should he win this Grand Prix. It's a guy that I just really believe and think highly of, Vadim Nimkov. But then Bader comes into the Grand Prix, uh, and he does win a fight, 
to kind of bounce back a bit before he does get starched by Corey Anderson. Corey looked incredible in that fight. I can't take anything away from him there. So the two losses here with the win sandwich in between, obviously, are to the highest of competition in this Bellator light heavyweight division. And not to mention, Bader is still a champion of the heavyweight weight class. So right now I want to say no until I see him defend this heavyweight strap. Can he bounce back? Can he get another win, right the ship, and kind of just move forward as a heavyweight only? We probably won't see him down at light heavyweight anymore. That might be safe to say. I mean, maybe not, but that's how I feel about that part of his career. But if he can go out here and beat uh, Valentin Madovsky, who's the interim champion, or beat Fedor Emelianenko for a second time, may I add, I'd have to say he's still got some gas left in the tank. So as of right now, on October 27th, 2021, while things are looking gray and he's lost two out of three, it's to the elite of the elite in Bellator. I'm going to hold off and say he's not on a downswing just yet. Yeah, I think you're part. I think you're pretty pretty spot on there. I mean, his. I think as a light heavyweight, you're not going to get. I think too those much. days are done. Yeah, the return on investment's just not going to be as high for him anymore. Right. Um, the last time he successfully defended his heavyweight title was January 2019. Um, almost three years. He did defend it against Chet Congo. In September of 2019, but that ended via accidental eye poke, no contest. Mm, okay. Um, so I don't really I count that. that. I mean, I guess that's that doesn't count as a successful title defense. I don't believe. Right. Um, so in that in that win in January 2019 was the under one minute TKO of Fedor Milianenko. Hmm. So since then, after that, the no contest to Czech Congo, he's lost two of three. Lost his light heavyweight title to Vadim Nemkov had the unanimous decision win over Leota Machida in the first round of this tournament and then just lost to Corey Anderson. I think, um, you know, this is high-level competition he's going up again against, but the fashion of these losses is a little alarming. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Vadim Nemkov fight, I don't know if you've – I don't know if you remember that fight, but – Oh, yeah. It was a one-sided beat down. Yes. we both think very highly of the champion Vadim Nemkov and you know that just because you get beat down by that guy doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden just washed. I mean, he might just really be that good, you know? Yeah. Think of like Anderson Silva beating Rich Franklin the way he did back in the day. Right. But to follow that up with Corey Anderson, who is great as well. And you know, a very good fighter, but, to lose in that fashion to a guy like Corey Anderson, mm-hmm. where you kind of get pummeled in under a minute, TKO'd, literally every shot Corey Anderson threw hurt you. It makes me a little nervous for when he goes back to heavyweight because those guys are only going to be bigger. They're only going to hit harder. Right. And I don't know if he's going to be able to take the, the punishment. 38 years old, five of his six losses via KO, TKO. Now, before the the loss to Nemkov, he hadn't lost since his KO loss to Anthony Johnson in the UFC. In UFC, yeah. So, I mean, he had a very long streak of wins there, and then obviously the no contest. But, you know, I'm not saying that the, this is the end for the guy, but I, I I do think that a rematch with Fedor does very much entice me because 
even though he beat Fedor so easily the first time, I don't know if a second time goes that easy because it seems mm-hmm. like Fedor's taking some breaks and you know he's he's taking some time off and maybe that's kind of helped him maintain a little bit while Bader, Bader being very active, maybe he's dropped off a little bit quicker than Fedor has. Right. And then that's not even to mention the best heavyweight in the promotion might be Moldovsky because look how good he looked against um, Tim Johnson. Yeah. And I, I think that that guy might give both of these uh, gentlemen troubles. So, for sure. you know, there's no easy fights coming up for Bader. Oh, that's to say the least. <laughs> and um, we'll keep an eye on him. I won't, I won't, I won't say that he's, you know, on the downswing, but it, it's starting to look like, Maybe the best days are behind him. I will say mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Number 10, state of Colorado approved. This is big. Um, yeah, it became the second state to employ. I want to get the, I got the terminology on my sheet here, so I'll make sure <laughs> yeah. I word it right. Colorado became the second state to employ open scoring in MMA and boxing matches, which, for those of you that don't know what open scoring does, makes the judges' scorecards public after each round. And the question being, should more states consider implementing this, Dominic? This would mean that not only is the audience at home or in the crowd able to see the, the scoring, but also the fighters yeah, exactly. fighting get yes. to see this. So I guess the question really is, do you like the idea of open scoring and do you think that it should become more mainstream and more universal in the 50 states? This is an interesting topic and one that's been thrown around and discussed quite a bit. Um, and for Colorado to become just the second state, uh, it was a big step. It was one that really came out of the blue, but uh, a lot of the MMA community was discussing this and ESPN was breaking it. Mark uh, Raymond D, I think is how you say his last name, yep. uh, was one of the first to break this and have an article about it. And it's interesting because, and it's boxing as well, but we're on the MMA side because you do look at some of these close fights where it's tit for tat back and forth. And so maybe if the fighters can see, uh Oh, I'm going into round five, the championship final round and I'm down, you know, or it's two to two, the winner of this round is going to win the fight or I'm down three, one, I have no choice, but to go finish, it could maybe, you know, spark a sense of urgency in them. But then on the flip side, it could cause them to fight in a much less um, safe way i suppose to where they could put themselves in danger much easier much quicker cause them to potentially lose so on and so forth i this will never happen in the ufc in my opinion i'd be shocked if it ever did get implemented you never know i don't see it happening in our lifetime anyway um but it is something to keep an eye on for these regional scenes how maybe maybe there should be someone that goes out and do some case studies where they kind of compare open scoring versus non-open scoring and do kind of how the fighters perform. What are the differences between decisions and finishes, so on and so forth. That'd be something I'm really intrigued in. I'm a big uh, into the stats type of guy. So uh, again, should more states consider implementing it? Maybe, but if, if I never see the UFC making it a big deal, then I wouldn't really recommend the states going out of their way to do it, if that makes sense. You really don't think we'll never see it in our lifetime? In the UFC, I'd be surprised. Really? I really would be. Because, I mean, it does, it's not that big of a change. It's it's really just showing the scorecards. Right. I, I guess, for me, 
it's going to be give or take no matter what. There's positives and negatives to the way it's done now. There's going to be positives and negatives to doing it this way. So I'm just going to say no. Look, I, I, I do hate when I feel like I know who won a fight. Yeah. And then the scorecards get read off. The other guy wins, and it's like I feel like they got robbed or you know, just didn't feel like the judges made the right call. But on the reverse end, let's say you have a fight that you got every everybody thinks is like super close. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going into round five, everybody thinks it's two to two. And then the scorecards come out, and two of the three judges have it three to one for one guy. Well, rather than getting a fifth round that might be an all timer, the guy who's winning will probably take his foot off the gas and right. try to coast to a victory while the other guy leaves his like you said, kind of exposes himself and yep. puts himself in harm's way. Um, it's just, there's positives and negatives. I, I did just happen to do a quick Google search. Dana has said that he is not a proponent of open scoring, but I don't think it's as crazy as you think for it to, to become an option. Yeah. I mean, because at the end of the day, it's really not as big of a change as people want to think that it might be i mean it's the judges you're still going to get the same shitty judging from shitty judges yeah. if or good judging from good judges give some respect right. where it's due but it's just going to be exposed to the audience i don't know if that really holds judges more accountable or not because right now you get the scorecards afterwards you get to see which judges picked who and what round but then it never comes back they never have to answer for it so right. why would that change just because in the middle of a fight it would be exactly changed. exactly it's not like the, the people will boo and they're like oh I'm gonna change my scorecard like nope you can't do that once it's scored it's scored so it's just yeah so I mean I I I don't know I don't know if me as a fan would want to know either like I kind of like not knowing the intrigue yeah even if it just ultimately pisses me off a lot of times when it's not the scorecard that it should have been or that I thought it should have been, I guess. Um, if I had to guess, I will say more states probably will start to do this. It will be slow. But, again, this is merely as an option. It just allows states right. to come there to do that. There was an interesting point from Mark Ratner. He had an interesting quote about this because, again, he wasn't a proponent of this either. And he sort of implied that the UFC would be reluctant to go to states that implemented this, which is not the best course of action, in my opinion. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a good way to do business is to yeah. kind of strong arm states into keeping your way of scoring the, 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 or the way of scoring that you prefer is like the only way. I don't know. I just, you know, I, I don't see the hurt in more states. I think it should be an option. You know, it'd be cool if we watch some regional promotions, like we're doing our, uh, regional mm-hmm. showcases. If a couple of those had open scoring, I'd be like, "Oh, look at this! It's something different." I was just um, about to say that. Yeah. But all in all, I don't need the UFC or Bellator or PFL. I don't really need them to implement that. PFL seems like one who would jump at this. If I'm, I could definitely this. see the PFL doing this. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, I don't think it's like a huge change, no matter what, though. Yeah, and I and I will just be fascinated to see if any of those promotions that are in Colorado choose to do this and how they'll play out. I am curious. Yeah, I know again, morning combat talked about this and I, I know there was a Canelo fight that um, at some point used open scoring. 
there's been a couple bigger examples. The Canelo fight, though, apparently was one where it was very close in the people's eyes because I think it was they didn't show the scorecards till like after round eight or something. Oh, and um, everybody thought the fight was super close, and then it was like seven to one Canelo. Yeah. So then the fight just kind of lost steam the rest of the way. Yeah. Um. So I I think there's gonna be give or take no matter what. Yeah. Number eleven. Last but not least. Last but not least, we kind of talked about the decline of some of our beloved fighters. And, you know, this is going to involve some of the all-time greats, Dominic. You know, typically you don't get to ride off into the sunset if you're a top fighter, if you're a top fighter all-time. You know, a lot of times there is a fall from grace. For every GSP, there's an Anderson Silva. Yeah. Yes, I know Anderson Silva is doing some cool stuff in boxing, but I'm just saying in MMA. Yeah, tough. T- yeah. But I think Anderson Silva will be a central focus of this question because it's should MMA promotions handle their star fighters retirements? And I'm going to just use a different wording than retirement. Their star fighter send offs better. So you look at like Anderson Silva, his last fight. In the UFC, was the main event of a fight night, but against Uriah Hall, yeah, that was a pretty just one in a million, or not one, dime a dozen fight night. He gets finished. No real send off. No, yeah, that was sad. You know, just nothing. You know, GSP had a big moment at UFC 217. We didn't know that that was going to be the end for him. <laughs> yeah, but it's a good way to get sent off. Then you look at like Michael Bisping who lost at UFC 217, comes back a month later to oh. um, to headline in China against Kelvin Gastelum. Yeah. It's knocked out in the first round. Why is Michael Bisping's retirement fight in China? <laughs> yeah, and against Kelvin Gastelum. And on, a, and on less than a month notice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is there a way for – I guess there, is there a way for MMA promotions to really do a better job of handling this? Man, that's tough. I mean, you'd like to see – better outside of the octagon but like send off packages or like they did a good job with paul felder and um what was another recent retirement uh joseph benavidez they did a video package for joseph benavidez and stuff but you look at a send-off fight he was fighting the number one guy in the world askar askarov it's like you know and again maybe sometimes the ufc doesn't know it's going to be their last fight so that can be that's always the problem yeah i guess i guess a lot of it for the ufc they have a choice in mm-hmm. booking this fighter any further. You know, yeah. JDS has come out and had some not so nice things to say about the UFC and Dana White in particular about the way he felt he was treated at the end. Like, I believe it was the Rosenstrike fight. He felt like yep. he was kind of told, you either take this fight or we're cutting you. That's right. like, this is a guy that was a heavyweight champion who yeah. had done a lot for your heavyweight division. Had, you know, he fought Stipe for the title. He'd been a mainstay, been at the top of the heap for a long time. Mm-hmm. You feel like he deserved a little better than what he got. And again, yeah. it's hard in the sport of professional fighting because at the end of the day, they have to go in there and fight. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, there are, I can point to any example of uh, the fighters I just mentioned, and there is a perfect send off Anderson Silva against Israel Adesanya. Boom. That would have been, yeah. that's the send off. I agree. Not I agree. his fight after with Cannoneer. Yeah, and then not his fight with Uriah Hall, Michael Bisping, yeah. fight with Dan, the second fight with Dan Henderson, boom, done. 
He yeah. wins that very close decision over in Europe. Done. Then, you know, there's other fighters you can do similar things with, but maybe it is just that. Maybe you do once they it's clear that they're no longer with the company or that they're retiring, you do have some sort of video package or something. But I just acknowledgement, you know. Yeah, I just think it's hard like to because a lot of fighters don't want to be done when it's really done. You know, Anderson Silva really didn't want to be done after the Uriah Hall fight. You know what one of the sorry, I didn't know if you were gonna keep going. You know no, what one no, of the no. most glaring ones is to me that just happened recently, and funny enough, it's another heavyweight, but Alistair Overeem was on this comeback, this one last ride. It was this storyline the UFC was using it and everything. Then he loses. Uh, who was that to again? I'm blanking. Volkov. It was against Alexander Volkov. Thank you. And a fight Volkov looked phenomenal, by the way. But he loses that fight, gets TKO'd. It's like he fell off the face of the earth. You never heard nothing again about the UFC. All of a sudden, he's cut and he's in glory kickboxing. Just boom, just like that. It was like there was never any send off. There was never acknowledgement. Alistair Overeem is yeah. one of the best fighters in UFC history to never win a title. And uh, so that's just one that's really glaring to me. I didn't think going into that win or lose that it was necessarily Overeem's last fight. I thought maybe if he loses, he'll still get one more, see if he can win, go out in style. I was yeah. shocked when all of a sudden he's gone. One last ride is over with. And by the way, you're just out of the UFC too. So again, maybe sometimes the UFC don't know if a fighter's going to retire or not. Sometimes maybe they know and they'll just book him anyway. I, I, it's just all crazy. But when there are legends of the game like that, they all deserve their spot in the limelight, no matter how big or small acknowledgement uh, is warranted. Or for any of the guys, no matter if they're even a star or not because MMA is a rough, rough game. Yeah, it is. And it's just so much different than, again, like a lot of these team sports, you know. Like um, I like I remember a recent example, Derek Jeter, his last season. He made it very clear it was his last season playing baseball. So every time it was his last time playing at a dip, opposing team's ballpark, they all had gifts for him and mm-hmm. stuff, and you know. That's happened a few other times that I can remember as well. Oh, Kobe's um, last season, man. Wow. Kobe, I mean, look at his last mm. game. Yeah. I mean, what a uh, way to go out. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, a game that didn't really mean anything in terms of record or whatever, but the guy goes out there and puts up, was it 60-some 60 60. points? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just crazy. And on pretty efficient shooting as well. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, it's it, and, and it's – Fighting doesn't really lend itself to that because, again, this isn't, you know, Kobe was past his prime, but he could still, he still had, even if he wasn't the best shooter on his team anymore, he didn't have the best, um, the best jumper of any, of anybody on his team. He did, he wasn't the best rebounder. Like he, like he wasn't as good of a rebounder, wasn't as good at assisting anymore. You know, he had lost a lot of that ability. But he could still go out there and put it together for a game or two. Oh, yeah. Fighting just doesn't lend itself to that because you go out there, you fight, and if you don't have it, you're probably going to get beat up. Mm -hmm. And not just beat up, but you're probably going to get finished. And is that, you know, that's really never the ideal way to send someone off is them in a bloody mess and, you know, 
that it's like, oh, yay, retirement. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't. It's just such a brutal sport that I don't know if there really is a way. But I like what they've done when guys announced their retirement later. Paul Felder, Joseph Benavides. But yeah. How come Anderson Silva didn't get anything like that? Was it because he was out of contract and they didn't want to promote him anymore? Like, really? One of your greatest champions of all time. Like, I'm not saying that's what they did, so I don't want to come down too hard on them, but it's like it's one of your best ever. Yeah, yeah. Can't even give him can't even give him a shout out on a broadcast. Like right. Even guys like Mike Goldberg didn't get a shout out on a broadcast. I know, man. That one still that one hurts me to this day. (laughs) Yeah. That guy deserved a little more something. A cent something they didn't even acknowledge it. That it was his last broadcast or anything. I don't know. It makes me sad when I look back on it. Even when like today, for example, Joanna just got removed from the rankings today. Yeah, I saw that. Or I guess yesterday when you're watching this, um, because the rankings come out on Tuesday. But apparently they someone got the scoop early, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. Joanna might that, that that to me sounds like a retirement. Yeah. Is she ever gonna get anything like I mean, I don't know. She probably should. She was a pretty dynamic and paved the way Next for the one fifteen pound division. That's been the most successful women's division they've had. You know, you look at like Ronda Rousey when she got knocked out by Holly Holm, comes back, gets knocked out by Amanda Nunes. I'm sure, according to what's to be believed from behind the scenes, nobody thought she was going to lose to Amanda Nunes at the in that in that company. And then once she did, and in the fashion she did, I mean, now now she's going to retire instead of going on to have another title reign. Right. So how you know, let's say that was her retirement fight. Look at how she got brutalized. Can't really celebrate her anymore. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to go out that way. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's it's tough. But when but when it lines up, there is some real real nice, you know, GSP is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some good ones, but it's very few and far between. Habib. Oh yeah. Habib, he just had that's a year. the most perfect one you'll ever see, really. Yeah, you know, no, that's true. Habib. That's why I'm so for him not coming back. Yeah, exactly. Because it's just like, it just felt good. It was like, you know what? That's the last. It doesn't need to fight anymore. Exactly. Well, there it is. That's going to wrap it up for (laughs) this Reddit roundtable. What a grind it was, Dominic. I didn't even look at the time. We've been going for a minute on this episode. I'll tell you what. These are just some discussions, my friend. But you know what? I hope you guys enjoyed this discussion. Uh, give us your thoughts on some of these questions that we asked. I'd oh. like to hear what some people thought. Um, we'll be coming back to you on Friday, preview episode, UFC 267. Also going to be talking about PFL championships that are going to be going on a little Tonight. bit after you watch this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, we'll just – any news that comes out? Contender series, don't forget contender series. Okay, you want to let me finish? Oh, sorry, (laughs) just I just I didn't want you to forget. (laughs) I'm just kidding, but uh, until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram at dsley14. More importantly, go follow, go engage, go interact. 
with the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at BAJMMA Podcast. I forgot to say the underscore, so I'm going to re-say it. At BAJ underscore MMA Podcast. By the way, like we said in the beginning, drop a like on the video, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, go find us on your audio platforms, go rate us a five-star rating, leave us a review. We love you guys. The Joey community, we grow another day stronger. Noah, let's get out of here, and I'll see you on Friday. Well said. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ntbaker underscore. If you go to the link in my bio, it's cool, it, will, yeah. it will take you to a link tree, okay, which provides you a list of links. Interesting. To all the platforms the podcast is on, along with the social media platforms. But that that includes, but is not limited to the Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify. Google Apple Podcast. It's all on there, baby. And there's a couple links for today's sponsor, Anchor FM. <laughs> Shout out, <Yes>. Anchor. <laughs> First one, leaving a voice message. Do it, please. And there's another link on there if you want to become a supporter of the podcast that just provides us with a few dollars a month. All that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast. But that's it. We're out. We'll see you all on Friday. Okay. Yep. Oh.